All right, lesson number five on the mouth, blessing and cursing. And we wrote this because I realized how little teaching there is actually in the modern church, or I should just say 21st century church, on the power of blessing and the power of cursing. As with any other word in English, English is a, is a language that evolves very rapidly. And unfortunately, because of that, if we start to make up meanings or false meanings of words. And so we can use the same word, but totally be on a different page. And like I, I think I shared with the last lesson, the whole aspect of swearing or taking the Lord's name in vain. Your understanding is, is totally unbiblical in what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. Now, our understanding as 21st century Americans is biblically accurate in that we don't want to take the Lord's name in vain and use his name as a cuss word and say GD or JC or, you know, and that's how we understand taking the Lord's name in vain. And that's wrong. You know, we shouldn't do that, but that's not the biblical teaching on taking the Lord's name in vain. And so things evolve. And, and so if you're wondering, what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? It's where your, your word has zero credit to it because you've lied so much. And so what you would then do is say, I swear by Jehovah, I swear by God, I will fulfill this promise to you. And that is, and then when you don't fulfill that promise that you, I, I basically strong arm Greg into believing me because it wasn't just Chris saying it, it was Chris swearing by the name of Jehovah. So I brought his God, Jehovah's credibility in on mine because mine was nil. It's like being a cosigner. Brought his credibility in on mine, and Greg said, all right, if you're swearing to me and you're getting Jehovah to co-sign for you, I'll trust you. And then I still break it, that's taking the Lord's name in vain, which, by the way, we all do more than say GD. We're more guilty of it than we realize because the way it even works in modern Christianity is, well, I'm a Christian. We're invoking the name of God upon our life, trying to get better credibility when we have zilch. And I, I've, in my experiences in the business world, I would rather work for a pagan than a Christian any day of the week. Been my experience. I work for Muslims. I work for pagans. I work for all sorts of folks. I'd rather go back and rework my whole career with them than any of the Christian business owners I ever worked for because they were the dirtiest bunch of scoundrels. And I had one guy I worked for... Uh, he was, um, well, he was a, a Turkish immigrant, but he was a, quote, strong Christian. And I, I was asking him about an integrity issue, and he patted the Bible on his desk and said, I'm a Christian, and I would never do what you just said we're doing around here. Totally a lie. And what he was basically doing was taking the Lord's name in vain, invoking the Lord's name upon his life for credibility when he had no intention of fulfilling it. So anyway, I say all that to say things evolve and change. So we want to teach on blessing and cursing because biblical blessing is not what we think and biblical cursing is not what we think, but we still can operate in the biblical realm because it's God's law. So let's jump into this thing. And if you still don't quite understand what I mean by taking the Lord's name in vain, ask me or have a conversation with me. We can teach a little bit more. James 3, 8 through 10. But the tongue can no man tame. All right, so that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. But no matter how good you are, you're still going to slip and say things that you don't mean, that you shouldn't have said, that you're going to have to go back and clean up. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. He's writing this to Christians. We all have this in our mouth. We all have right here 
and I'm really evil. <laughs> but I have peel poison. <laughs> so all of you are sitting here this morning with unruly evil and poison right in the most critical part of your whole body, your face. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Think about the hypocrisy of that. We bless the Lord this morning and when we praise and worship, and then tomorrow we'll go and we'll say, I hate them. What an idiot. I hope they go to hell. How do you do the same thing? We're all guilty of it. Lord, help us. Out of the mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. The, uh, these verses indicate the early church had a healthy understanding of blessing and cursing, which I think we recognize we don't really know. Because if we were to call upon you to teach salvation, all of you could teach salvation. You have an understanding. We call upon you to teach the fruit of the Spirit. You, you have a pretty good grasp of the fruit of the Spirit. If I teach, ask you to teach on blessing and cursing, probably not the proficiency. But the early church got it because it was something they walked in. It was something that was just part of their culture and not just culture by, for culture's sake, but culture based on the laws of the spirit realm. Sadly, this is something modern saints have lost. We know that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Oddly enough, Proverbs lists death first, then life. Because death comes a lot easier than life does. In, in the condition of the fallen world and all the physics and the laws of science that follow the fallen world, all you have to do to die is nothing. All you have to do to decay is nothing. All you have to do to implode is nothing. Everything falls apart without outside input. Life is much more difficult to accomplish. It, you know, uh, trees don't just grow by themselves. It, it takes energy. It takes the process. Buildings don't just build themselves. And lives aren't just built by themselves. Even babies don't just happen on them. There's no such thing as spontaneous conception. Energy has to come together. You know, in case of human life, there has to be conception. There has to be a, a seed uh, being fertilized and, and producing life. It all takes energy. Death is easy. Just do nothing. That's why poverty is so prevalent. It's easy. Just do nothing. And then expect somebody to do a lot more for them and then enough left over for you. That's called entitlement welfare. We need to further understand how powerful the ability to bless and curse really is because we're all doing it on a daily basis. We just don't realize it. We will study biblical examples of blessing and cursing in this lesson. So we're going to begin with blessing because I want to go life first, then death. And understand this, as, as we enter into these two subjects here, there are th good things to bless and there's things you should not bless. There are things you should never curse, and then there are things that the Bible wants you to curse. And so this thing, true to form, is a two-edged sword. Some things we're blessing, we should not be blessing. Some things we're cursing, we should not be cursing. On the other hand, there are things in our life we should be cursing, and there is a time to actually curse a human being. And we have to know that. Only the Lord and the Word can reveal that to us. But what we need to do is learn how to accurately use the Word of God so that we don't hurt things that shouldn't be hurt and preserve things that shouldn't be preserved. All right, hopefully you catch all that. So blessing, to review, because we covered this in a previous lesson, a blessing is a decreed invocation, uh, that means to invoke, to invoke God's protection or favor upon someone. When we say God bless you, we are operating in spiritual laws. 
We are invoking the favor and the protection of God. We have the famous song, God Bless America. We are invoking, it's a supernatural thing. We are invoking the supernatural favor and protection of God upon America. When we say bless you to someone, we're doing the same thing. You know, the German word Gesundheit, God bless you, because you just sneeze. Why do you need a blessing? Because your heart stops when you sneeze. And we hope it, and it's a little superstitious, but we hope it jump starts itself back again. At least that's what I've always heard. Your heart stops for a split second when you sneeze. I don't know. I like stealing sneezes from people. You see them go, and you just go put your finger in their mouth, and that, they just shuts it all down, and they get so mad at you. That almost makes your heart stop, but it is a lot of fun to do, to steal people's sneezes or just say, don't sneeze. You can say, don't sneeze, but if they have a strong will, and I've learned this by experience, they can overcome that. But to stick your finger in their face, their mouth, or their nose totally stops the sneeze and ruins friendships. <laughs> we are to use our mouths to declare blessings on our lives and upon those we meet. We ought to be blessing our children, declaring blessing. You know, if you own a business, walk into your business. I call my business blessed by God. Uh, you can do that if you're clean. If you're dirty, it ain't going to work. <laughs> the Hebrew word means literally to bless means to invoke God. You're invoking God upon your life. And we, there, you can't just do that flippantly. That has to be taken very seriously because God doesn't just show up because you ask him to. But to bless someone means to invoke God and everything he has upon a situation. The Bible contains many examples of God's people invoking a blessing, not as a pleasantry, which is what it has dissolved into in America. When certain politicians say, God bless America, God bless everybody, they, they don't mean it. Even if they did, they couldn't possibly muster the power to do it because they don't get it. Even there's bumper stickers that says, God bless everybody. God doesn't bless everybody. You know, that's just a liberal slap in God bless America. God blesses America because America has served God. When America stops serving God, God stops blessing America. Like Dr. Barclay says, uh, America wants the blessings of God without God. And it doesn't work that way. You, you don't have the power to invoke blessing if you don't have God in your life. Not as a pleasantry, nor as a mere customary greeting. We have to be careful we don't get religious about this. If you get religious about invoking blessings, it's like getting carefree about just shooting bullets. You, you don't just flippantly or carefully pull the trigger. There's all sorts of rules and protocol to how to handle a weapon because there's power there. Same with the blessing of the mouth. You don't just say bless you to somebody who, who serves the devil. That, that's, that's a violation. It's like shooting the gun in the air. You don't even know where it's going to come down. Not as a mere customary greeting, but as a divine declaration with prophetic power and long-lasting results. The mandate to bless should be taken very seriously. So again, my purpose in writing these, these lessons and teaching them is to help us become more disciplined with our mouth so that we can accomplish more with our mouth. If you can understand your words are like money, and you can devalue your words or you can inflate the value of your words. The best way to devalue something is to overproduce. The best way to increase the value of something is to dry up the resource. De Beers is the number one diamond holder in the world and they never stop mining diamonds, but then again, they sit on them too to control the amount of them in the market so they can regulate the price of them. Amen. 
You and I ought to learn to sit on our words sometimes just to dry it up in our life so that our words will have more value. The more of your words there are in your life, the less value they tend to typically have because in the abundance of speech, the Bible says there's a lot of sin. So I've written all this to help us to control our mouth, to discipline it so that we don't overcommit, which always tends to folly, that we follow through with our commitments and we're not just flippant with our words. And as Jesus said, we're not just idly speaking for which we'll give an account. So let's look at this. Let's look at some examples of blessings in the Bible. The very first blessing in the Bible is Noah's blessing. Noah's the first person recorded in the Bible blessing an individual. Not blessing, not, we're not going to talk about God blessing the garden and Adam and Eve and whatnot, but an individual. It's Noah. And his first blessing is his sons, Shem and Jephthah. Here in Genesis chapter 9, verse 26, 27, and, he, and Noah said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Now he's declaring something here. This is the blessing. Shem, Canaan shall be his servant. Now Canaan was his brother, Ham. You have Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Canaan were the descendants of Ham. And before Ham had any descendants, he's already declaring they'll be called Canaan. Think about how powerful and in the realm of prophecy this is. Before Ham has any kids who are to be called Canaan, uh, Noah says, Ham shall serve Japh uh, Shem. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Notice in this one blessing, he blesses his two sons and curses his third. And there's no do-overs. No mulligans, no I take that back, no I didn't mean that. This is a very powerful thing. Truly Shem and Japheth were blessed. They are generally regarded in antiquity as having been the progenitors of the Orient and Africa. Japheth went on to populate what is, you know, the, the Far East, which would be Iran, eastward to the Asians the, and the Southeast Asians and Korean Peninsula and Mongolia, etc. And then uh, Shem is regarded as having gone down into the southern part, into Africa, and have been, become the Africans, African peoples. That's blessed because those are two massive cradles of civilization and people groups. We see that. Why did they earn the blessing? They, ble they, they were blessed by their father because they were full of integrity. When their father was discovered as being drunk and naked because he made wine and did too much and fell out asleep naked, they covered his nakedness up without looking at it. They, they, in a sense, they resolved their father's sin with humility and, and fear, whereas Ham mocked it. Hey, look, dad's naked. What an idiot. That's why you should train your kids to be very respectful. Amen. They earned the blessing because they were respectful people. This lets you know you don't bless disrespectful people. You don't, you, you don't bless unfaithful people. How can you? God doesn't. Amen. Melchizedek's blessing. Melchizedek is only the second person in the Bible narrative to proclaim a blessing upon a person. He blessed Abraham after a victorious military campaign, bearing witness to God's pre-established blessing. Now, Melchizedek is just a human being here. He is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ, but I don't want us to think, well, this is Noah. He had superpowers. No, he didn't. This is Melchizedek. He had superpowers. No, he didn't. He's a human being. You know, in the Bible, there's either angels, demons, God, or us. And the only superpower anybody had on planet Earth was faith. And the Bible records 
their faith so that we might be like their faith. Amen. I say that because I don't want you to think, well, sometimes in modern America, we start to put this stuff off as mythical. The Bible is not mythical. That's how the heathen one of you are Bible. Put it in the same category as Zeus and Hercules. That's a bunch of bunk. This are, these are not myths. Please don't think these are myths. These are written so we can understand we have the ability to bless our kids, our marriage, our business, or we have the ability to curse. So I, I know how the southern religious mind works. Well, that's Melchizedek. You don't even know the doctrine of Melchizedek. So stop discounting it. <laughs> he blessed Abraham after a victorious military campaign. The Bible says very clearly he was a king and he was a priest. It doesn't say he was a god. He was a man. He was over a little town called Salem or Jerusalem. And that was his kingship. And he knew Jehovah God. Genesis 14, 19 and 20. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God possessor of heaven and earth, and, he ble and blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he, Abraham, gave him tithes of all. And so, of course, you know, if you know Hebrews and all the modern, uh, the New Testament teaching on Melchizedek, you understand the types and shadows. But he blessed him, and what that did was it further confirmed the blessing that Abraham already had on his life from God. And here's another thing about blessing. When you go to bless people, you ought to be able to perceive whether God's already blessing them or not. And we are fools to bless people God's not blessing. Right. Amen. And we're fools to curse people who God is blessing. And I think uh, that knucklehead in Numbers learned all about that. <laughs> Balaam, thank you. Yeah. And Balak, son of Bozer. We ought to be able to be spiritual enough to recognize God's hand is on someone. And I'm going to get on, in on blessing them. And that's why folks don't get it. When, when as a pastor or as a ministry or even your boss sits you down, it's because God's hand is sitting you down. If God is sitting you down, I can't prop you up. If God is propping you up, I can't sit you down. And that's why this thing originates with God anyway. All Melchizedek did was recognize the hand of Jehovah was already upon Abram, and he, he proclaimed and confirmed the same blessing. Really, the blessing thing is very easy. If you walk with God and you can recognize it when it's already on people. Melchizedek confirmed God's blessing on Abraham. How successful was Melchizedek's blessing upon Abraham? Abraham had victory and favor everywhere he went, even in the face of lustful kings. The blessing of Abraham, which was confirmed by Melchizedek, is so important to this day that it's one of the reasons Jesus Christ died to redeem us from the curse of the law, quote, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us through Jesus Christ. This blessing is so important. Melchizedek's confirmed blessing is so important. God wanted it to come on us. That's why we were redeemed. That we were redeemed from the curse, that the blessing might come on us. We're still operating in blessings and cursings today. Amen. Isaac's blessing. Bible custom holds the firstborn son of each family receives the family lineage, wealth, and blessing. Isaac wanted to bless Esau. Remember, he had two sons, twins, Esau and Isaac, or excuse me, Esau and Jacob. And we know that uh, Esau came out first, and Jacob was right behind him grabbing a hold of his heel. Who's ever seen that happen in the delivery room? Two twins, and one's coming out, and the other one's trying to pull them back in. I want to be first. Pretty wild. I want to be first. 
Of course, if you're a Calvinist, you see that as predestination, and it had to be, but we're not Calvinists. Like, like uh, one man said, there's five points of Calvinism, but I have 39 points of free will. <laughs> and 39 minus 5 is 34. So I trump predestination 34 points. <laughs> Isaac favored Esau, but Rebekah favored Jacob. Therefore, Rebekah conspired with Jacob to deceive his father and to obtain, in order to obtain the blessing. Now, here's what I want you to see about the blessing here. The whole way they go about getting the blessing is totally surreptitious. It's, it's diabolical. It's wicked. It's deception. A wife is deceiving her husband, conspiring with her favored son against the other two men in the family. And the blessing still sticks. That's how powerful our words are. And Isaac had no power. I mean, it's like he's not some mythical creature. He's blind at this point in his life. He's been totally duped. If he was really that mythically strong like Hercules, he couldn't have been duped. They were successful, and Isaac's blessing contained the following, some of it being recited from the Lord's blessing over Abraham. And this is what he blessed over, over uh, Jacob, thinking it was Esau. Let people serve thee, and nations bow down to thee. Cursed is everyone that curses you, and blessed is everyone that blesses you. That's left over from Abraham's blessing. This blessing was so effective. And you know the story. Uh, his mother helps him fix the venison that his dad loves, and Esau's gone into the field to hunt that. And by the time Esau finds the deer, kills it, brings it back in, the blessing's already gone. He's been totally played again by his brother. The blessing was so effective that not even Isaac could recall it once he had discovered he'd blessed the wrong son. Now, in America, we have this very cheap excuse where we say, well, I didn't mean that. How many, we've all used that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Well, why'd you say it? Well, I misspoke. Well, get better. See, 4,000 uh, yeah, 4, years later, uh, we totally don't get words much anymore, and they don't carry quite the weight that they did. Isaac couldn't just say, oops, I made a mistake. Isaac looked at his son Esau and said, what can I do? I have spoken. It is done. You and I need to realize that. We open our mouth. We have spoken. It's set in motion. We're going to have to get with God to clean some things up. To pray against some words we've sown. To pray against some things we've declared. To pray against some friendships we've ruined. And try to restore them. We've got to realize we've spoken things and they've been set in motion. You and I need to realize when we open our mouth, the spirit realm hears it, though nobody else may. Now, we don't always believe that, but what if I just started saying, Satan, I invite you to come into this sanctuary. I won't dare say it a second time. Even though there's probably no demon anywhere nearby, you know they heard that. And I fully believe being a born-again, spirit-filled pastor, if I was stupid enough, I could begin to say it enough. I could bring a dark presence in this sanctuary, though nobody outside this room heard it. Because that's the power of our words. And if you, you can understand it now, I, I can hear your hearts going, yeah. If you can understand that extreme example, then even when you're by yourself and you say, I hate this marriage, should have never gotten married. 
The demons say, thank you, we'll run with that. And God says, you've bound me. When you say, I should have never had this kid. The demons say, well, we can work with that. Even though it's just you and the radio driving 60 miles an hour down the road. Because that's the power. Isaac understood this. We as Americans, we, we got this cheap excuse of getting out of it. I didn't mean it. Whoopsie, I'm sorry, can I take that back? Unfortunately, not that easy. Because usually when you declare something, it's with a fervent faith and passion. And you can say, whoops, I'm sorry, but it's never quite equal to the strength and force behind which you declared the thing. So now you're going to have to spend three or four years, maybe seven, cleaning it up, maybe ten, maybe never. That's why we have to learn to put a guard over our mouth. Amen. Isaac answered Esau and said, Behold, I have made your brother your Lord. How did he do that? Just by making a, by blessing, by declaring. And all his brethren have I given him to him for servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. What can I now do for you? I've given him everything. Is there, I don't know if there's anything left I can do for you, son. And you know this is his favorite son. He'd have done anything for his favorite son. But he realized how powerful his words were. And he couldn't take it back. Jacob had to literally scrounge around. Go, go read Genesis 27. You'll see what I mean. He had to literally scrounge around for another blessing he had not already given Isaac. Excuse me, uh, uh, Jacob. Isaac had to literally scrounge around for another blessing to give Isaac. Uh, <laughs> Isaac had to scrounge around for a blessing to give Esau that he hadn't already given Jacob. Oh, oy vey, all these names. His blessing came to pass for Jacob. And Jacob became Israel. Nations served him, and we still do. Hundreds of years later, Balaam would reiterate the blessing of blessed are those that bless you and cursed are those that curse you. This promise is particularly, in particular, holds true even to this day. Entire nations have either prospered or suffered depending on their stance with Israel. Even right now this morning, Israel is a stumbling block for the world. It's even ruining America because of where our current administration stands against Israel. This blessing, that's how powerful. Spoken by Isaac in, a, in his blind old age, duped. Where's Esau today? Nobody makes foreign policy around Esau. But everybody makes foreign policy around Israel. 4,000 years later. That's the power of our words. Jacob's blessing. So now we move on a generation. Jacob's blessing. Jacob learned how to bless from his father Isaac. No doubt about that. And he was preparing, as he was preparing to pass away, he called the 12 patriarchs to him in order to bless them. His blessing included the following. So we're going to read a bunch of stuff here, just kind of picked from Genesis 49. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is it that their father spake unto them and blessed them. So here's the blessing. Every one of them, according to his blessing, he blessed them. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. Notice this blessing. He calls them what they are. You can't bless somebody without acknowledging for who they are. Sometimes we want to just whitewash things. But he recognizes Simeon and Levi had um, gone and massacred, butchered a whole city because they raped their sister Dinah. And they were so mad about it, they, they entered into a false agreement with this city and said we want to be friends with you but we need all your men to be um, circumcised and they said well okay yeah we could we could use some more friendship so the whole city 
uh, circumcised all their men. And when they were recovering, Simeon and Levi went in there and killed everybody to avenge their sister's rape. So that's why he's calling them instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. You guys are cutthroat, wicked sons, but he's still trying to bless them. Cursed be their anger. Part of blessing sometimes is cursing things. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob. That means in the promised land, they're not going to get to live together because they always get in trouble. Sometimes you've got to keep some of your siblings apart or your children apart because they're not good for each other. Judah, here's something he says, excuse me, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, and I skip a lot of the tribes just to get to the ones that we understand better. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Some of you already know where that goes, that blessing. Jacob's blessing was so powerful. It blessed Levi out of a lifestyle of revenge and anger. He had brutally slaughtered a city for the rape of his sister Dinah. And notice this, this blessing is so powerful. Levi is the assassin right now. Butchers a whole city. And yet, who does Levi become? The priests who stand for mercy and forgiveness. This blessing totally reversed his character. See, some of us, we're too busy calling our kids what they are because we're frustrated. We're too busy calling our marriage what it is. But don't you remember faith says we call those things that be not? This, this, is, this is Christianity, faith 101. Sometimes we have to be reminded. He looked at who Levi was and says, I curse that. And that blessing, which was a curse in this direct example, was so powerful, it made him the high priest who had mercy on everybody else's wrath and anger and stood in the gap. Instead of butchering people, he butchered animals to cover the people. It prepared him for a lifestyle of mercy and intercession. After the conquest of Canaan land, that was became Israel's property, Levi never inherited any land. The priesthood was their inheritance. Simeon, remember Simeon and Levi, I'll divide them. Simeon's land portion was contained within Judah and totally separated from the Levites. Jacob's blessing had declared they would be divided. They never got to dwell next to each other. Hundreds of years later. And I remember Joseph, Jacob makes that blessing before he dies. He dies. They go into Egyptian captivity for 430 years, 40 more years in the wilderness. So basically it doesn't come to pass for 500 years. That's how powerful the blessing is. We can't even bless ourselves through the weekend. <laughs> I didn't mean that. <laughs> I was just kidding. Judah, on the other hand, became the tribe that produced the kings, including Jesus Christ. 500 years before their nation, he declares, the scepter will never depart Judah. A scepter? We don't even have one right now, much less depart one. But Judah became David, became Jesus Christ. So I, I, I want you to see these powerful blessings. that These still hold through to today. Now, again, uh, we'll see this in the cursings. He blessed what became Africa. Noah did. He blessed what became the Orient or Asia. And he cursed what became Canaan land. Canaan land don't exist anymore because they were cursed. All these things, I picked these because they're still running today. These blessings are still carrying out in the earth today and affecting our lives. And these weren't even born-again people that did this. These weren't spirit-filled people that did this. Most of the time, these were old men 
who were ready to die, but they realized how much power their words had. If we could do that, we could be really changing some things. Be careful whom you bless. Last verse on this section, then we got to quickly move on. 2 John 1, 10 and 11. Nobody ever reads 2 John. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. That means to greet joyfully, to welcome. We'd say it like this, to act like nothing's wrong. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. I can't stand sitting down with somebody and acting like there's nothing wrong with them. When they've sinned against God, they've sinned against my family, they've sinned against whatever. The Bible warns us. Now, here's the thing. John is the apostle of love. His, his gospel is all about love. First John is all about love. My dearly beloved, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. If any man love not, you know, he's all about love. He's known as the apostle of love. He's the one saying, if you sit down with somebody and act like nothing's wrong when it is, you're a partaker of their evil deeds. You're saying, welcome. One translation says, welcome. And you act like there's nothing wrong. You are fellowshipping with their evil deeds. You're blessing them. And you can't bless, bless whom God is currently cursing and resisting. Otherwise, you get to absorb yourself into their curse as well. So be careful when you act like nothing's wrong. Now, that's hard on us because we're southern, super polite, false Christians. I mean, false, uh, false friendly people in the South here. We act like everything's okay. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I'd rather hurt their feelings than be partaker of their sins. We were, my wife and I were currently, we were recently in a situation. My wife said, like, we're not going to talk about the white elephant in the room. That's what we're trained to do as Southerners. Just ignore the elephant in the room that's just crushing everything. Letting it have its way and trample things. Oh, you're going to have to speak up and say, so you're going to keep living in adultery or what? We all know you do. Why are you even here? That's what this verse is teaching. Be careful who you say everything's okay with. Blessing them. Let's move on to cursing because I am running out of time and I've still got a page and a half here. There are several Bible examples concerning cursing. Remember, biblical cursing has nothing to do with foul or coarse language. That's just kind of a southern evolution. It is not the equivalent of American cussing. Another word for cursing is imprecation or malediction, which means to call down a curse to invoke evil or judgment. As Christians, there are times we must curse things, not using dirty language. Jesus cursed the fig tree. He didn't use dirty language. So let's look at Noah's curse. This was the first curse ever in the Bible done by a man. His youngest son, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw Noah naked and reveled in it. He made fun of it. He enjoyed his dad's failing or, or, or sin. When Noah realized what Ham had done, he invoked the first curse. High cholesterol shall everybody have that enjoys you. It's a ham joke. I have to explain it. Obviously, it's not funny. No, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. There's the curse. You are cursed, and you'll always serve everybody else. When you got Asia and Africa, that's all there really is. You get to serve both people groups. Remember, Ham was the father of Canaan. How cursed were Ham's descendants? 
His future homeland was called Canaan, and his descendants were called Jebusites, Amorites, Gergesites, Hivites, Arcites, Sinites, uh, Arvadites, Zemorites, and Hamathites. These were the inhabitants of Canaan, and many specifically inhabited the area of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zebuim. Those regions sound familiar to you? And they're cursed. The region which God wiped out just a few chapters later. Joshua, the judges, and David defeated the rest of Canaan. There's none of these people left today, all because of one curse. God could give Canaan to Abram in part because Noah had cursed Canaan. It's cursed land, therefore it's open to whoever God wants to give it to. God doesn't just push nations out of their property without reason. Mr. Sinister, Noah's initial curse was still coming to pass hundreds of years later. We could say it's still there because nobody exists of those last names. They're gone. Jesus is cursed. Jesus cursed the fig tree because it was misleading and hypocritical. That white elephant in the room. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. That's a curse. And his disciples heard it, and the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. The fig tree represented Israel and their spiritual condition. Jesus came from afar to see this tree. Israel, giving you the spiritual allegory of it. Fig trees produce leaves after they produce figs. Leaves first, then figs. Excuse me, figs, then leaves. If there's leaves, there should be figs. This tree, like Israel, was declaring it had fruit when in fact it did not. The time of fruit was not yet come. How does that spiritually, how do you have fruit without Jesus? They're declaring we have righteousness. Jesus says, I am righteousness and you don't have me. So, it, number one, it teaches us faith, but the spiritual implication, one of the trees that represents Israel is the fig tree. You got the olive branch, you got the vine. One of them is the fig. They're, they're declaring this tree represents the spiritual condition of, nation, of the, Israel, the nation of Israel in the time of Jesus. He comes from heaven, from afar, because they're declaring from earth, we have fruit. And he comes down to see, is it so? You don't. You're deceptive. You're cursed. That's the story of the fig tree. How can you bear fruit without Christ? Israel was declaring they could have fruit and salvation without their Messiah. After he cursed the fig tree, Jesus went and cleansed the temple. The next thing he did, cursed fig tree, cleansed the temple. That's where he was going to. So you see this curse here. Jesus is always cursing hypocrisy and false Christianity. That's why we don't want any part in it. That's why around here we try to teach us just be honest. Just be real. I am a mess. Quit acting like everything's okay. Some folks resist help from the body of Christ. I got this. Uh, it's evident you don't. But in that spiritual pride, we want to act like we have it all together. How can we help bear your burden if we don't know that you got one? We do know you have one. You're just acting like it's not there. Why are your knees shaking, you're sweating, and your back's popping as you slowly sink under the burden? We've got to be willing to ask each other for help. Peter's curse. Peter cursed Sapphira over lying. He did not curse Ananias. Acts 5, 9, 10, and 8. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Now here's the curse, because he never cursed Ananias. He just dropped dead. But here he curses the wife when she comes in four hours later. It's a long church service, by the way. 
What's amazing to me is they can continue to have church once someone drops dead in their midst. I think at that point, everybody's afraid to go home. So, all right, nobody's leaving. I guess we should sing another hymn. (laughs) And he said this, Behold, the feet of them which have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry thee out. He killed this woman. Where is that nicer than Jesus thing? A New Testament apostle cursed a woman and she dropped dead in a church service. I thought we were all about grace and squishy love. Then she, fell she down straight away at his feet and yielded up the ghost or the spirit. Ghost is Numa there, spirit. She, she went to heaven or maybe hell. Some people believe she went to hell. I have no answer for that. This couple was judged for lying about an offering. And Ananias was judged much more quickly and severely because he was the head of their household. Hear that, husbands. Make sure you keep your heart and your house right. Sapphira was given an opportunity to repent. She did not. Peter's curse came to pass instantly. Jesus' curse took overnight for the fig tree. He gave the fig tree apparently time to repent. Sapphira had none. Dead. Paul's curse. Paul cursed a sorcerer for hindering the gospel. Anything that hinders the gospel, you can feel free to curse. Just make sure you have the wisdom to do it. Acts 13, 9 through 11. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him, which was a sorcerer. And he said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil. He's calling names. Shouldn't he be trying to win this man to Jesus? Shouldn't he be trying to have a conversation first? Shouldn't he be telling this guy about the love of Jesus? We got more hippie in the American church than we realize. This man's full of God. And what is God saying to this wicked man? You are subtle, full of the devil. You are an enemy of all righteousness. (laughs) And you will not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. So apparently we don't know how long it lasted, but it wasn't until death do him part. But it was going to be known God's hand is doing this to you. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. uh, Elamus, the sorcerer, was cursed because he was hindering the gospel. The instant uh, instant demonstration of this power of God caused the politician, Sergius Paulus, to convert to Christianity. Sometimes cursing things gets people saved. I'm telling you, I'm so over the American nicer-than-Jesus false religion. It's not helping anything. So in conclusion here for the Sunday School lesson, our words are powerful. Hopefully we have demonstrated that. God wants to accomplish so much more through our mouths, but we must learn to harness this power. I'm, I'm, the Lord prompted me here, going back to inviting Satan into our service, which I'm not going to do. But I was in Poland years ago and, and witnessed and led a Satanist to Christ, witnessed to but he shared with me a lot. He wanted to share with me his testimony, which took about, we were four hours because we were a couple hours at this outdoor pavilion. Then we went back to the local mission. And this kid, through an interpreter, he listened to all the satanic heavy metal music. And uh, he had their shirt on. He actually had two shirts in this satanic concert on. They had Jesus Christ crucified and disemboweled. That was like their concert shirt. And the other shirt he had on was a picture of Jesus with all these... Uh, crucifixion nails driven in the top of his head I mean just very sadistically and uh, he was telling me listening to this band he's a Polish kid 
He doesn't speak English, but the, the band he's listening to is an American heavy metal all in English. And of course, this is in the 90s, so it's all tapes. They didn't have CDs. It's, Poland had just come out of communism. It was 1996, so the wall had just come down in Poland just a year or two earlier. And he was telling me he would listen to this satanic music on headphones so nobody can hear it. And yet, just listening to it on headphones through the cassette, he said, demons would come and go out of my room. And he said, and I could feel them come and go out of my body. This, this kid doesn't know where I'm going with the conversation about Jesus. He's just telling me what he's experienced in the satanic church. And I was just reminded of that, that that's how powerful words are. That music was written to glorify Satan. The kid doesn't even understand what he's listening to because he speaks Polish. But the demons do. The demons in Poland recognize those words because they speak all languages. They understand human communication. And even though audibly you could sit next to him and not hear what he's listening to, maybe just a da 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 you know, maybe you know how you can get next to headphones, the demon realm from miles around could hear it and would come to his room and flock. How much more you and I being totally immature with our mouth can curse our life and invite demon power to work on our marriage? I hate you. I should have never gotten married. Why did I take this stupid job? You just cursed your job. The one that's putting food in your mouth and clothes on your back. And if you don't think you're actually help getting demons to help you, you're deceived. They prod us along all the time. They just come along and bump into us and get us going another direction. And, and we speak the direction they got us going and they are receiving power from our words. They come and hit us harder. Until you and I stand by faith and declare what God's word says and having done all to stand, keep standing, we're just going to keep being puppeted by the enemy and keep invoking their power in our life. The Christian walk takes a lot of power and force and energy and determination on our part to sit there in the heat of the day and not sacrifice God and keep declaring the word and the truth and the blessing of God no matter what we see around us, not even what sleeps in the bed next to us or in the room over there or what we have to go war face at work tomorrow. I declare the word of God because it is absolute truth and everything else must bend around it. That's biblical Christianity. Anything apart from that is mere humanism. You'll go to heaven, but you'll live like a mere human on the way there. God wants to accomplish so much more through our mouths, but we must learn to harness this power. A word of caution concerning cursing. This is such a powerful and dangerous tool in our Christian arsenal. We must be careful to make sure we have the approval of God before we curse any situation. I, I should add, any situation the Bible does not clearly curse. You can curse vain imaginations, curse sickness, curse poverty, curse a demon, curse a fig tree for fun if you want to. That's biblical. Curse a mountain if you want to. But anything, you start dealing with people, make sure you have a thus says the Lord and a permission to do so. If Jesus cursed it, we can curse it. Sin, sickness, demons. But don't forget you are to first and foremost pray for your enemies, not curse them. Jesus said, curse not, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. May we pray that God would help us to put a guard over our mouths. Amen, amen, and amen. I trust we've learned something in these five lessons about our mouth, much more than just faith, much more than just confession, so much more to our mouth. 
Father, I thank you for these lessons. I thank you for the truths that are in your word and for helping us teach this lesson today. May it sink into our hearts. May it change the way we speak, declare, and converse. May our mouths be bright, brilliant reflections of our walk with you. May we never declare what the enemy's doing. May we never curse what you want blessed. And may we never bless, Lord, what you want cursed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.